0: This evening's reading is from 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, which can be found on page 1193. But before we hear the passage, let's pray for God's help. Father God, we do thank you that you have given us your word. You've given it to us in language that we can understand, and yet we know there are hidden secrets in it, Lord. So we pray that you will open our eyes and open our hearts as we hear your word read and spoken from. Lord, might we learn more of you and grow closer to you. Amen. Amen. So chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters, with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives give the people these instructions so no one may be open to blame anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60 Has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is bought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sin of others keep yourself pure stop drinking water only and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses the sins of some are obvious reaching the places of judgment ahead of them the sins of others trail behind them in the same way good deeds are obvious and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better, because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you very much, Margaret. Uh, A bit of an epic reading, um, hopping around. Um, But it is, as always, a great pleasure to be here at Emmanuel. Um, Often we sneak in at the back, but uh, it's good to be here at the front uh, and looking at this passage together. Uh, It's good to worship together, it's good to sing together, it's good to pray together and to listen to God's word being read. And then to look together at what this might mean for us here this evening in 21st century Chesham. If you're a regular here at Emmanuel, you'll know we're in a series of sermons on Paul's first letter to Timothy. Tonight's passage is all of chapter 5, as you just heard from from Margaret, uh, and a couple of bits into chapter 6 and it's the sixth of seven sermons in the series. If you're not a regular, I hope our passage and my sermon will still make some sense to you. Last week, Jeremy spoke on chapter four and said it was a challenge to relate to the teaching and lessons found in such a very personal letter of support and guidance, the letter sent from Paul to his protégé Timothy. As I listened to that, I thought, Well, this week's passage is really no better, maybe in fact rather more of a challenge. Not only is it personal to Timothy, but speaks of some problems that were very real to Timothy and to his church there in Ephesus. It gives guidance on how to tackle them. But both the subjects and Paul's guidance sound very difficult and very strange to our modern ears. As I thought about the passage and speaking on it, two images immediately came to mind. The first was a mire, also known as a moor or a moss, depending on where you come from in the country. Uh, The second was a minefield, and I'm still not sure whether it's a mire or a minefield. A moss or a mire is a problem if you stray from the path, uh, but only for me if I'm at risk. Uh, I remember one day going to visit somebody at Grove Farm, some of you will know it up by Wellpley Hill, it's a moated manor house. Uh, the moat looked to be nice and green and well-drained. I hurried across it. I arrived at my meeting with very wet feet uh, and rather smelly from the mire that still existed there. A minefield is a very different matter. It puts others at risk. The explosion, the damage. Uh, many years ago, I was very privileged to go and meet Claire uh, Ginger in Bosnia um, when she not long been there in 1999. Um, The uh, United Nations forces were still there in the town, it was quite an exciting place to fly into. Um, Claire took me on a couple of walks and she directed me very carefully. You must not stray to the right or to the left (laughs) because we're passing through a minefield. It concentrates your mind quite wonderfully. But whether it's a mile or a minefield, I felt we need to tread uh, with the greatest of care as we go through our passage both out of respect for God's word, but out of respect for all of you who are here listening. But as we start to look at our passage, let's pause, be quiet, and pray. Father, we're reminded in your, uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Our passage today, Father, closes with the words, these things we are to teach and to insist on. Heavenly Father, guide us and help us as I speak and as each of us listens to your word. Help us learn to respect one another and be respectful, but also when needed be willing to challenge, rebuke, but always with love and sensitivity. Amen. Amen. And so to our passage, I think that we are able with God's help Uh, to apply these verses to our life here at Emmanuel uh, and to our own lives. But in doing so, we need to spend a few minutes looking at the underlying message of our verses. What was the purpose of the passage when Paul uh, wrote his letter? I'm assuming that Paul did write it, subject to some dispute, but we'll go with Paul for, for now for ease. We might even ask, why is Paul bothering to write to another church? Why was it important to Timothy? What were the problems and challenges that needed to be addressed? Our passage speaks of various age groups and how to relate to them. A long section on widows, needy ones, young ones, ones who served in the church. Then to the area of elders of the church and slaves, and a little on to Timothy himself about taking care of himself. Was it that Timothy was also a risk of entering a Maya? a risk of being overwhelmed by the responsibilities given to him. Remember, he was considered young and with little experience of leadership. Maybe he was finding it much harder than he'd imagined. Being the leader was very different from leading alongside Paul, who we can assume was older, more educated, and seen as a figure of authority. Jeremy said last week, there is something of Timothy in each of us, and so we can sort out the underlying purpose of the guidance then we can look at it once again with our 21st century eyes and see how it applies to us. So first we'll look at Timothy's world and the challenges that he faced as a young leader in an established church. And then we'll turn to our world and see what we can learn from those challenges. It seems that in Ephesus there were really a lot of challenges facing the church. We've heard in other weeks some were spiritual, some were scriptural, but others like this week, are just about being church together. How the different groups within the church related to each other. How they understood each other, or maybe didn't understand each other. And within all of this, there are challenges for Timothy being a new young leader. How he relates to these groups, and how they relate to him. The letter suggests there's a great range, or a good mix depending on our point of view, of people within that church group. People of different ages, young, old, men, women, families, married, widowed, slave, free. A wonderful mix drawn together as a church and as a church family by the acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Very different people from very different backgrounds joining together as one body, all being called to love and serve the Lord and to love and serve each other. A diverse group that are looking to rub along together. The challenges of diversity and inclusivity were not limited to Ephesus. Ten years earlier, Paul had written to the Galatians those famous words that we often quote. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. The challenge across the early church seems to be treating each other with respect and with love yet moving in the right direction, even in challenging times. So let's look for a moment at the four groups that seem to be on Paul's mind, and so we assume on Timothy's. Older men, widows, church elders, and then slaves. So older men, as an older person, but not old, the opening verse seems very satisfactory to me. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. The image I have is of a lot of grumpy old people who've seen it all before. I know the signs very well. They creep into your life if you're not careful. The ruffled feathers, the, I remember we tried that before. It didn't work then and it won't work now. It's all too easy to slip into this mindset. So there are times when the older men do need a gentle rebuke, need to be flattered with an acknowledgement of their experience, but still put right treat an older man like a father. I've seen it from the other side as well, as a 28 year old church warden in an inner city parish in London during an interregnum. The need to tread carefully and respectfully, to draw on past knowledge, to move but to move forward into the new future that God had for us was not an easy path to steer for someone who's very inexperienced then as a leader. But verses one and two continue. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, all with absolute purity. Good advice. Treat each other as if we were family. But sadly, that's not so easy. Families are complicated. They don't always function well. One of my favorite quotes is from 1992. Uh, U.S. President George W. Bush at the time stated whilst appearing before the national religious broadcasters, We're going to keep on trying to strengthen the American family, to make American families a lot more like the Waltons and a lot less like the Simpsons. Maybe Paul's vision of families was more like the Waltons. If you don't know of the Waltons, if you're too young, check it out on YouTube, but do not watch more than one episode. (laughs) I'll assume everyone is familiar with the Simpsons. But families are difficult. I suspect they were difficult even in Paul's time and that it was an ideal family that he had in mind, the sort of family we aspire to. Then there's our long section on widows. Widows are mentioned in many places in the Old and New Testaments. And in the Old Testament, it's always uncaring for widows, often alongside the need to look after orphans and aliens. They were just non-Jews rather than from outer space. The widows and orphans were seen as needing support Without a husband or a father, there was no breadwinner, and so no money. No money, no food, no shelter. Acts chapter 6, we hear of this support for widows starting. We read, in those days, the number of disciples was increasing. The Hellenistic Jews were among, the, among them, complained against the Harabic Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. So there was an established provision for those who considered older and in need, those who deserve proper recognition, who were seen as supporting the church. There is suggestion that some uh, form of guild was being formed. They'd committed themselves to serving the church after the death of their husbands. And so in verse nine of our reading, Paul sets out some rules for those who will be provided for. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband, well known for her good deeds such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble. With the preceding verses, 4 to 8, and once again in verse 16, Paul writes at length of the responsibilities then of families for those widows, of children and grandchildren, the wider group of relatives. In these situations, Paul writes, the responsibility lies with the family, not with the church, and its apparently limited resources. The message is the church needs to prioritise its support. Families shouldn't take advantage of the church. Then Paul goes on to write about younger widows in the last few verses who Paul feels should marry or remarry, should receive support from their new family. These verses seem to sit very, very uncomfortably in our world, and I hesitate to comment. But the message from Paul seems to be linked to the idea again of this guild of widows who committed their time to the church. He was worried that younger widows could become idlers and busybodies, supported by the church, but not contributing. I'll say no more before I sink into a mire on this one. Then we come to church elders, uh, if young widows are a risky area, then church elders at first glance seems no easier. But having looked at it through the week, I think maybe it is. It starts with the idea of rewarding, you know, that rewarding those who are leading in ministry. And I think we'd all support this. But it's an interesting subject for a self-supporting minister such as Jeremy or I, who receive no money. But I do feel honoured and rewarded in different ways, to be a minister and have a leadership role. Paul speaks of reproving, and so goes beyond financial support. He tells Timothy that a moral standard needs to be maintained. There is a need for the leaders to be impartial, to show no favouritism. Maybe Timothy had found some people easier to get on with uh, and was seen partial to one group or another. Maybe he sided (coughs) along with the other younger ones. Alongside the need for impartiality, is the need to treat accusations carefully, to be supported by two or three witnesses. Perhaps another difficult idea with our need for safeguarding and listening to all. But for Timothy, it would be important to avoid challenges between groups and individuals who just didn't see eye to eye. And Timothy is to select with care those who will be authorized as elders by the laying on of hands. Again, no favoritism or partiality. Listen to God, not just to the different and conflicting human opinions. And finally, care for each other and care for yourself. This section on the elders closes with some very personal advice to Timothy on looking after himself. Take more wine with the water. The advice is usually the other way around. Our passage closes then with slaves and masters. Uh, Another really controversial area. Not so controversial now, uh, as we would all agree it was wrong, though sadly still present in our world, even in our country, though often very hidden away. But controversial because we find ourselves asking, why didn't the church speak out in Paul's time? Why did it take 1,800 years before Christians such as Newton or Wilberforce spoke up and campaigned for a change in the law? but there are still lessons about respect and disrespect in our relationships, even there in the words on slaves and masters, perhaps particularly in the secular world. But here we're getting ahead of ourselves, more of this in a few minutes. So having looked at uh, Timothy's world and the challenges he seemed to be facing and why Paul was writing to him, let's retrace our steps through the passage and see what we can learn of Timothy's challenges and from Paul's letter to him. We'll not go verse by verse, but try to identify some general principles on these sections of older men, widows, elders, slaves. And in doing so, we need to tread a narrow path through our mire or minefield as we look at how we understand this teaching for today's world, but without reinterpreting scripture to meet our own needs. As we're all too well aware, down that road lies error, division, and heresy. But let's press ahead and look at the themes and principles of these verses. I did wonder if it was just safer to stop after verse one, which all seemed very straightforward, as I said before. Treat with respect everyone with respect and dignity, particularly older men. But of course, our passage covers so many more than just older people, it covers young as well as old, men and women, single, married, widows, families. Slaves and free, perhaps now best imagined, as those who feel tied down, and those who feel free spirits. The challenges of those leading, and the challenges of those who are being led. But for me, two themes seem to come through, respect and response. Respect includes both recognition, and I think rebuking, whilst response involves responding, and responsibility, and how we react. Both themes seem to run all through our verses. For example, if we look at verses one and two again, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older, men as, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. There is a need for respect by the younger man for the older, but also an unspoken a need for the older to respect the authority of the younger leader. We have a responsibility to one another and should uh, react with thought and love. Our respect extends to to all those in the church family, just as we hope it might in the family into which we're born. And then the complex subject of widows, young or old, in need serving the Lord, is again about responsibilities. Responsibilities to the church family to use resource as well balanced with our own responsibility to those within our families. Even with the responsibility of families, there is tension um, between caring and independence. So I think overall that respect includes recognition, as I say, rebuking. It's respect for all, recognizing we all have gifts, but recognizing we are all sinners, but we are all in the image of God. Respecting people means no favoritism, no no partiality, showing God's love equally to all. Respect means paying our leaders and giving generously, rebuking those going astray, whether it's church or bishops. The need for two or three witnesses, again, uh, a, a, sorry, the need for two or three witnesses agreeing uh, in a rebuke is appropriate and required. And we have respect for those in authority, working hard for each other and how we treat people, how we respond and how we react. And then under response, this involves responding and responsibility, as I said. It includes how we respond to each other, how we react when challenged and under pressure. What is our response to those in need? Where is the balance of responsibilities? The church, our family, the state, the NHS, social services... What are the limits of our responsibility for each other? We need to consider our answers to some of these questions as individuals, as blood families, as a church family. We may not all have the same answer. But whatever our response, it should be built on respect for those in our community, those in our families, those in our church, and above all on the word of God. These These are the things you are to teach and insist on. Paul knew that the way people responded and their readiness to take responsibility were important in the church in Ephesus, along with the respect for all, reactions based on prayer, not anger, rebuking where needed and when. These are all still needed in our 21st century world, needed in our lives, our families and our church. So now it's time to draw to a close, to move on and share the bread and the wine around the Lord's table. I hope I steered a safe course through our minefield passage. I mean, they help us all to see that it still has relevance for our very different context. Respect and responsibility lie at the heart of our reading, and Paul's concerns and guidance for Timothy are centred on both but respect and responsibility has echoes of the book by Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice, which I'll own up to not having read. (laughs) And pride and prejudice are always to be found lurking where respect and responsibility fail to be to the fore. The challenge across the early church seems to have been treating each other with respect and love, yet moving in the right direction, the direction the Lord wanted them to go, even when times were challenging. We seem to find ourselves in the same place once again. And so the same guidance does speak to us now. We need to move forward with respect and love, move in the right direction governed by Scripture, following the word of the Lord. And we are still called above all to respect and love one another. Amen.